I want to preach about a warfare worldview. If you have your notes with you, uh, those will help you out because I got a lot of verses today. This is going to be kind of like a Bible study, but at the same time, we're going to, we're going to un- unpack a lot of stuff. This is sort of an introductory sermon as far as spiritual warfare goes. So we're going to have a, a, a series of messages, a handful of messages on spiritual warfare. It's an important topic, uh, and we deal with it a lot here at our church, so maybe some, of this, uh, maybe some of this sermon will be reviewed for a lot of you, but it's important that we grasp this information, that we, that we apply it to our lives, so we're going to get into it. But this, this sermon series is called Like Lightning, and one of the reasons it's called Like Lightning is because when Jesus' disciples were sent out to minister the kingdom of God to the people around them, when they came back, they were rejoicing because they knew that they had authority over the demonic powers. And Jesus responds to them by saying, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And I always thought that that was uh, Jesus referring to a time when he literally saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And that may be true, but I also believe that there's something that happens when the people of God understand their enemy, they understand spiritual warfare, and they begin to go out and do what Jesus has called them to do. Because when we do what Jesus is calling us to do, we tear down the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus says, I see Satan falling from heaven like lightning. He was, he was affirming their ministry when he sent them out. And he was saying, look, when you guys are doing what you're called to do, I'm literally watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I'm seeing you enforce the victory that I've won for you. So that's what this sermon series is going to be about. Let's read a couple of verses uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. And we'll jump right into it. Y'all feel good this morning? Look at your neighbor and say, this is where the war ends. Amen. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood or human beings, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places." Let's pray together. Father, God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. And, and Lord, this, this message, I believe, if, if, you, if you would anoint it, God, and bring it life, and we trust that you will, I believe, God, it can set people free. I believe that it can break chains. And, Lord, I believe that you're going to help us to see Jesus and his victory for us on the cross against the powers of darkness in a way that we never have before, Lord. And I believe that that message has the power to, to set us free, God, and break every chain. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to do your work in us, God. Help us to see the truth this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage that I just read, it presupposes that there is a struggle and a battle going on all around us. And what the New Testament actually teaches us is that there is a war going on around us all the time. Just like Forrest said this morning, that when we come in here together and we begin to worship God, when we lift our hands and when we begin to sing praise to God, we're actually engaging in warfare, whether you realize it or not. I know a lot of times it doesn't feel like warfare, because when we think of warfare, we think of guns and bombs and all of these things. But there is a spiritual warfare that is always, never ceasing, taking place around you at all times. 
And the scripture in the New Testament reveals this, and it's a reality that this world that we live in, there's a cosmic conflict going on in it at every single day of every single moment. There's a cosmic conflict going on. And in your notes, I'm going to get to my first point real quick because i got to drive this one home. And that is that the world is a war zone. The world's a war zone. And there's all kinds of terrible things that are happening. But let me tell you something. When you're in a war zone, terrible things happen, don't they? There are conflicts, there's a battle, there are victims of war, there are different things that happen and we wonder why in the world is all this happening and what you have to understand is that the New Testament, whether we like it or not, paints the picture that we live in a world that is actually an active war zone and we must understand this truth. Because the Lord, the Lord, I was praying about this sermon this week and the Lord gave me this phrase and He said, Clay, what most people are doing and they don't even realize it is they're taking a vacation, they're vacationing in a war zone. And he gave me this picture and this image of literally like in World War II, if they were to go, you remember they came onto Normandy Beach and they stormed the beaches of Normandy. Can you imagine saying, listen, honey, we need to take a vacation. We need to rest. We need to set aside everything that's going on in our lives and just rest a little bit. Where you want to go, honey? Let's go to the beaches of Normandy. It'd be great. They go out, they set up their, their, their lawn chairs, you know what I'm saying? They're in their swimming trunks, drinking some kind of fruity drink. And then all of a sudden, the war comes in and the battleships rage. And let me tell you something, it's a bad time at that point to be vacationing. Matter of fact, you need to take up your weapons at that point and begin to defend yourself. And the issue is, is that spiritually, most people live, especially in America, as if life and as if what God wants for us is to live as happy and peaceful and, and, and in the most comfort as we can possibly live in. And really our goal is just to acquire wealth and possessions and stuff and never be challenged and never be uncomfortable. Anybody amen me on that? Now listen, I would love for the world to be that way. I want that myself. I love comfort. I love Saturdays when I tell people all the time my favorite thing to do is nothing. You know what I'm saying? Anybody amen me on that? But the reality is, is if I apply that to my spiritual life, something bad is going to happen to me. Because I'm in a war zone. And I don't have the time to take a vacation in a war zone. Because if I do, you know, I got that word war zone. And I said, I don't even really know what a war zone is other than the fact that people are fighting all over the place. So I looked it up in the dictionary. Put that up there. It says it right here. A war zone is a combat area in which the rights of neutrals are suspended. Those flying neutral flags are subject to attack. That's what it said in the dictionary. And what he's saying is, is if you're in a war zone, you no longer have a right to remain neutral. And if you remain neutral and just put up a white flag, they will attack you and they will kill you anyway because you are in a war zone. And in this world, we are in a war zone. And let me tell you something. You do not have the right and you do not have the time to just wave a neutral flag and say, I ain't on either side. And a lot of times, even Christians actually in the battle, they're remaining neutral. And I'm telling you something. Some people even believe this. They believe, well, you know what? I'm just going to remain neutral. I'm not going to press too far into God because if I press too far, maybe the devil will attack me. Let me tell you something. You were born to defeat the enemy. You were born to wage war against the forces of darkness. And never let the enemy convince you that you can fly a neutral flag and never press forward and never go into the kingdom of God and never fight against the kingdom of darkness because you were born to resist the enemy and destroy the powers of darkness. That is our inheritance in Christ. And at some point we have to realize that and we have to get off of our beach chairs and engage in the warfare that is going on around us. See, we can't stay neutral in this place. Now I want you to imagine, see, you have to understand that we, we play a vital role in what happens in this earth. 
Whether, whether evil happens or whether good prevails, we play an essential role in what happens in the earth. And 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, he said, look, you, you make sure that you don't allow yourself to be entangled with the affairs of this life because you're living as one, as a soldier who lives to please the one who has enlisted him to be a good soldier. Jesus Christ has enlisted you. And this world and Satan is trying to convince you you're not in a war and he will entangle you with the affairs of this life until you lay down all of your weapons and you become vulnerable to attack. And all of a sudden your mind's going crazy and you've got no peace and sin is creeping at your door and you find yourself in bondage and you find yourself angry because of the negative things that are happening in your life. And all of a sudden you're sitting there wondering, how did I get in this position? And the answer is you're, you're in a war. Well, what the Scripture says here that we just read is that our real enemy is never flesh and blood, is it? See, a lot of times we get convinced that our enemy are, is actually human beings around us. And one of the greatest strategies of Satan throughout history has been to convince people that their enemies are other human beings. And we fought and killed one another. Instead of going to war with the devil, we went to war with one another. And that's been one of his greatest strategies. And Paul is saying, look, your enemy is never another human being. Matter of fact, if you want to ra- wage w- real war, those, your enemies that hate you and your enemies that want to kill you, love those people. Resist violence. Pray for those who, uh, who persecute you and despitefully use you. He says that's how you wage war against the demonic powers. You love your enemies. If there's a human being in bondage, you see them with the eyes of Christ and you live for their salvation and for their healing. He says, this is how you wage war. And here's the other thing is that it must be settled that spiritual warfare is real. You know, a lot of people, especially now in, in, our, in our day and age when everybody's so brilliant, people have gotten so smart they've gotten real dumb. And what's happened is, is they've actually rejected a warfare worldview. They don't want to believe in demons. They don't want to believe in Satan. And there are actually people that I've talked to, they believe in God, they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the devil. And I'm thinking, well, let me tell you something. If you believe in Jesus and you call him Lord, the first reason and the most primary reason that we believe in demons and Satan and spiritual warfare is because our Lord did. It's because Jesus did. And guess what? I don't get to correct Jesus' theology because he's the one who's teaching me. And if he believes in the devil and, and, and demons and Satan, then guess what? I believe what Jesus believes. And what he teaches and what he demonstrates is what we adopt. But see, even if that was not enough reason, at this point in my life, I've had enough experiences to know that what the Bible teaches about this stuff is actually real. I tell this story sometimes, but, but the reason I tell it is because it was my first experience uh, with, with different things. Now, don't get me wrong. There were times when I was coming out of addiction and I was coming out of different things in my life. I was praying and I was fasting. I was living in an apartment, man, where we just, we got drunk, we got high all the time, and that's just kind of what we did. And I began to recognize spiritual warfare going on in my life. I saw crazy things happen that when I, I remember telling my mom one time, and I said, let me tell you what I saw. This is, I mean, this was some demonic stuff that happened around me and in my life. And she looked at me and she said, honey, are you sure you weren't using drugs then? Because that's what we think. Anytime something spiritual takes place, you know, we just imagine that uh, we're on drugs. Of course, now she understands what was going on, but she was just checking to make sure because I was telling her some crazy stuff. So I get saved, I get delivered, and at that point of deliverance, I recognize that it wasn't just me that was making these crazy decisions, but in my sin, I had actually yielded to demonic spirits to take over control of my life and influence me. And when Jesus set me free, I literally experienced these things breaking free from me. And all of a sudden, I had a newfound power to no longer do the things that I used to do and now live for Jesus. I was free from it, okay? Now, 
two years after the Lord delivered me and filled me with his Holy Spirit. It was about one or two years. And, I, and, and, um, and you know, over at my dad's office, at, uh, I used to work. And we t- I tell you about Barb. Me and Barb saw some things happen. The Lord, m- Lord moved in that office, didn't he, Barb? He praised God. Listen, the Lord will look, move in your workplace if you let him. And there are demons all up in your workplace. And you need to drive them out. Praise God. Don't let them overcome you. You overcome them. And so the Lord would send people in there all the time. And, you know, Barb got healed in there. And one day there was these people coming in. And I'd been praying and fasting that week. It's the third day of a fast that I've been praying and fasting. Another little tip on spiritual warfare. You'd be amazed that if you choose to pray and fast and seek God, how, much, how many more coincidences will happen in your life. Amen. You be praying and fasting, there'll be some coincidences break out. Because God's going to show up and move. So I was praying and fasting. About the third day of this fast, I'm working in the child support office. One of my coworkers says, hey, these two women, they want prayer. Would you pray for them? I said, gladly. I've been waiting on somebody to just ask that all day. That's the reason I'm here. I ain't here to work. I looked at my dad right then. He was my boss at that point. I ain't here to work. I'm here to pray for people, praise God. Well, work and pray for people, amen. So I was there, and, and, and we, listen, we prayed for, I prayed for another woman that had a torn rotator cuff just like Barb's arm. And, and again, no glory to me, God healed this woman. And I was shocked again because I was starting to see God do stuff. Okay? And, and, but there was another woman there, and she was diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis. And she asked me to pray for her. And I said, sure, I'll pray for you. And, and I started to pray for her. And when I did, I just felt this. I don't know how to explain it. It was one of the first times I'd ever experienced it. But I just felt this check in my spirit. And the Lord, he just threw forgiveness on me like that right there, just forgiveness. And I said to her, I said, you know, before we pray, I said, is there somebody maybe that you need to forgive? And as soon as I said that, she just immediately tensed up and wouldn't look me in the eye. And I said, no, listen, I really feel like the Lord's, Lord's doing something here. And maybe he wants to heal you, and I'm just guessing at stuff. I don't, listen, I don't know nothing, okay? So you can step out in faith and not know a whole lot of stuff. And I didn't know nothing, but I said, maybe the Lord really wants to heal you, but this is something that we need to deal with first. I said, so, so if he said this to me, and there's somebody you need to forgive, let's do it together. And she said, you don't understand, I can't do that. Turned out that her dad had, had abused her most of her life, and she had never fully dealt with it. And, uh, and so we get to this point, and I said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to pray through this. And I'm, we're going to forgive this, this man together. And we prayed it out. And we said, Lord, as an act of my will, I choose to forgive so-and-so in the name of Jesus Christ. And as soon as she said it, she pulled back away from me real quick and just started panting real hard like this. And, I, and she said, now, don't take this. And I'm kind of freaking out because I don't know what's going to happen. And, I, and, and, and she looked at me and she said, don't take this the wrong way. But when you prayed that, I felt sick to my stomach. And I said, good. What it feel like? And as soon as I said that, she looked up at me, and I kid you not, her eyes changed, her voice changed, and she said, hatred. Just like that. And I immediately realized that there had been a demonic spirit hiding in that realm of soul where she had been abused and she had been tormented in that area her entire life. But when she forgave her dad who abused her, it broke the rights of that thing to, to, to control her in that area anymore. I laid my hand on her head. I said, come out in Jesus' name. And the thing come out, threw her on the ground. She started gasping for air and weeping and crying and began to cry. And the Lord ministered to her. And she got up saying she felt better than she'd ever felt in her life. Now, that was the first time. Amen. Amen. Now, I know, I know this stuff is crazy. And you know what? You don't see this in everyday life. 
And, and since that happened, actually, I said, when, when, when God, I saw that happen a few more times, and then when God moved me over here with Donald, Donald's even crazier than I am. And we saw, we saw, we've seen stuff happen that I kid you not, if we sat down and told you some of the stories, they would be hard to believe. Of, of God coming in and setting people free from oppression and strongholds and so many different things in their life. But see, we have to understand that this is a reality. We're not dealing with some kind of fairy tale here. And the quicker we can understand this reality in our lives and understand how it works and how it operates, the quicker we're going to be able to, met, to, to fight a good fight and wage a good warfare. See, Paul gives us different classes of these angels. Now, I'm not saying this is something that happens all the time, but to some degree, people are under the influence of the evil one. Amen? And he gives these degrees to these classes of angels. He says there's principalities, there's powers, there's the rulers of darkness of this world, there's spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And here's what you need to understand, is that these angels were created good, and they were given a measure of authority in the world over nature and over creation. And just like humanity, humanity was given a, 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 a stewardship of authority, to steward the animals and the creatures and all of these things on the earth. But, but the angels actually had power and authority given to them over, over aspects of nature and over aspects of things that happen in creation and ultimately to minister to human beings. But what happened was is that Lucifer led a rebellion and took one-third of these fallen angels and led them in a rebellion against God. And they used their authority to begin to work cross-purposes with God. And you say, well, how can that happen? How can you work cross-purposes with God? We do it every day. You say, well, how can that happen? God, God created them good. God gives everyone free will because love is the essence of all things. And with no free will, there is no love. It has to be chosen. And so God chooses to create a world in which there are free agents that always get to choose whatever they choose to do because you can only choose to love God. But if you, cho- if you can choose to love Him, you can also choose to reject Him. And let me tell you something. When these angels that were given a measure of authority over creation, when they rebelled and they went in, into cross-purposes against God, it actually affected all of creation. Romans 8, 20 and 21 says this. It says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Look at what the next verse says. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. What he's saying is, is that the way you see the world now and what's actually happening in the world is not the way God originally intended for it to happen. When those that were given stewardship over creation fell and rebelled against God, all kinds of stuff within this creation began to break loose. Parasites entered into the world. Animal violence entered into the world. All kinds of nasty diseases and pestilence entered into the world. Earthquakes and tsunamis and volcanoes entered into creation because even creation itself was fallen and it was subjected to futility. And the Bible says that even creation, the stinking trees, are groaning, waiting for God's children to be manifested so that the healing can be restored. And if you don't agree with what I'm saying here, the Bible actually teaches in Isaiah 11 that when God sets up His rule and reign on the earth, you know what's going to happen? It says that the lion shall lay down with the lamb and the wolf with the sheep. And a child will literally put its hand in a cobra's hole. And then he says, In all my holy mountain, nothing will hurt or destroy. Why? Because the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. See, when, they, when the angels rebelled, and then when we succumbed to the, to the temptation of Satan and the angels, creation went off the hook, so to speak. Everything got messed up. 
And now what we do is we live in a warfare. And here's what you have to understand is that, is that this warfare is not between Satan and God. If, if God wanted to, he could crush Satan. But here's the issue is that when God created the world, he created a world in which human beings would rule over. We were supposed to rule over it. But when we sinned, we forfeited our authority over to Satan and all of a sudden everything went haywire and God had to become a man to get that authority back in order to restore his creation. Make sense? That's why we're at war. Ever since then, we have been at war with the demonic powers and whether good or evil prevails in this world is whether or not we fight the good fight in Christ Jesus and overcome the kingdom of darkness. And that is essential to understanding what's going on in our world and around us. Now, here's, here's what it's important to note is that we don't underemphasize or un, un, overemphasize the power of the devil. If you underemphasize the power of the devil, well, guess what? He can remain in darkness and convince you that what's happening in your life has got nothing to do with him and so that you don't know how to resist him, you don't know how to fight against him, and he just works in darkness and ultimately controls the world around us. On the other hand, if we overemphasize him, we begin to live in fear of him every day, thinking he's behind every cough and every sneeze and every different thing that happens, and we live in constant fear, thinking, "Uh uh-oh, the devil's got us again, the devil's got us again. And we don't want to go in either direction because both directions are dangerous. But here's here's the point. We cannot underemphasize it because the New Testament paints this picture. Okay? Y'all ready? I'm going to go through a lot of verses. But we have to see this first. We don't want to underemphasize it because here's the the, the picture that the New Testament paints. Right here in, in, in John... Jesus actually calls Satan the ruler of this world three times. Now you would imagine, no, it can't be calling him the ruler of this world because Jesus is the ruler of this world. When Jesus came upon the scene, there was a ruler of this world, this world system the way that it is now, the evil that was taking place, and that was Satan. He said, now is the judgment of this world, and now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. Next verse, see, he says it again. The ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Speaking of Satan. Next verse, he said, the ruler of this world is is judged. Now go to the next verse. Let's look at some of these together. So the devil actually takes Jesus upon a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory. Listen to what he says. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Satan is saying, look, Jesus, I got control over all these kingdoms of the world and I'll give them to you because I can give them to whoever I wish because their authority has been delivered over to me. Do you realize that Jesus did not say... No, you ain't got authority over these. What Jesus realizes is that humanity forfeited their authority over Satan and he became ruler over this world in one sense and he claimed the world as his very own. So Jesus came back to earth as a man to get our authority back. Next verse, 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world around us is under the control of the evil one. Man, that's a scary verse, isn't it? The whole world around us is under the control of the evil one. Next verse. Paul calls him the God of this age. Notice that. And he says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest this gospel should shine into their hearts and they should be set free. So he's called the God of this age. Next verse. It says that he's called the prince of the power of the air. And that's the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. He's at work in people who don't serve God and follow Jesus, okay? then it says, but the Pharisees called him the ruler of the demons. He also rules over the demons. And then here's this last verse. And war broke out in heaven. 
Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. So if you want to understand the counterpart to Lucifer or Satan, it's not God or Jesus. Jesus and God destroy devil, period, every time. The counterpart to Satan is a dude named Michael, the archangel. When Satan is ultimately bound at the end of the age, you know what it takes to bind him? One angel. Somebody say amen to that. You know what I'm talking about? It don't take like a big horde of angels. One angel takes Satan and binds him. Okay? So he says, and the dragon and his angels fought. Next verse. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Next verse. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old who called the devil, Satan who deceives the whole world. Now here's what you have to understand is that the reason this world is so messed up and sometimes we get, in this, we get in this place in God where we begin to say, we question God all the time, and we wonder why so many bad things happen and why God allows all these things to happen. And listen, to some degree, we don't know everything. But to a large degree, what we have to understand is why bad things happen is because Satan is still trying to exercise authority that we lost and gave to him in the fall, and all of creation is going haywire. And the only way that it's ever going to be restored is if the church comes into its rightful ownership and inheritance in the authority of Christ and exercise the dominion of the kingdom of heaven against the powers of darkness. The problem is, is we don't submit to God. We submit to the devil and we resist God. Okay? And when we do that and when we don't fight, we allow the enemy oftentimes to gain control over even our own lives as Christians. And we cannot allow that to happen. We have to understand the authority that we have in God. And see, all of these things that happen, there's, the Bible actually teaches us that Satan has tremendous influence and the gospel teaches us that the reason there's sickness, disease, and deformities, and death is not because it's some kind of part of God's mysterious will. See, there's two worldviews. There's a blueprint worldview and there's a warfare worldview. The blueprint worldview means that you just believe that every single thing that happens down to the detail is God causing it to happen i got to be honest with you. I have an extremely hard time believing that there, there are millions of women sold in slavery in, in the sex trafficking industry, and somehow we're going to say that that's God's doings. No. Matthew 13, Jesus said, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. Not God. It's not some part of God's mysterious will. And then somebody say, well, God is sovereign. And I say, you better believe he's sovereign. And what that means is that even though there are all sorts of creatures with free will roaming the earth doing all sorts of destructive things, God can take whatever Satan does and means for evil and whatever you do and mean for evil and ultimately he's so wise that he can turn it for good and transform it and bring it to redemption. Somebody amen me on that this morning. That's what his sovereignty means. His sovereignty does not mean that he controls every action. His sovereignty means that no matter what happens in this world, he can ultimately turn it for good because he is Lord over all creation. And right now we live in a world where there's a war zone and Satan has a measure of influence and control that destroys people's lives. But when people get saved and they give their life to Jesus and they come to figure out who they are in Christ, they can exercise authority and dominion over Satan and they can take back what he stole from them. And we have got to understand that. Otherwise, what we do is we just chalk everything up that happens as, well, God must have wanted that to happen for some kind of weird reason. No. Forgive me. I get passionate about this. My wife rebukes me all the time. Listen, bad things are going to happen. You might as well get ready for it. There are going to be days... 
that you are tormented, that your mind is going crazy, that you experience loss, that you experience death, that you experience sickness, and all of these things are happening and going on, but I'm telling you, it's not God that is doing it. An enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. And we resist the enemy, and we fight in faith in Jesus Christ and the victory that he brings. And and I'm going to tell you something else. Even if it seems like we lose the battles in this life, ultimately, Jesus is going to come and reset everything and heal everything. And we're going to lose some battles in this life. But the war ends at the cross. Thank you, sir. I'm dry. So when we see destruction, when we see people experiencing evil, we're not seeing God's will, but we're seeing victims of war. In the Bible, Acts 10.38 says, Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Afflictions... And infirmities in the Bible, when Jesus... Many people with afflictions and infirmities and sicknesses and diseases, they would come to Jesus and he would heal them. Now, in in the Greek language, I thought this was so neat because the word for afflictions and infirmities is actually this word mastix, and it means a scourging or a whipping. And, And sometimes, a lot of times, we think sickness comes from God or this or that, but the New Testament and Jesus teaches that sickness never one time came from God. Matter of fact, he said it was an affliction, and that word scourging or whipping, what he's saying is is that when people come up under sickness, what they're being is they're being afflicted and they're being whipped and scourged by Satan himself. But this is the very reason why Jesus, who was without sin, and Satan had no right over him, what happened to him? He gave himself over to the powers of darkness, and what did they do? They whipped him and they scourged him. What was he doing? He was taking our stripes, and that's why the Bible says, by his stripes you were healed. He was taking the stripes, not of God, but of the enemy's affliction. Because the enemy had no right to him, but he took it anyway. And because he had no right to him, now he has no right to you. But there was a a transformation that happened. So we can't underemphasize the enemy, but let me tell you something else. We cannot overemphasize his power either. Sometimes you talk about the devil, you talk about somebody getting delivered, delivered, people get spooked. I'm telling you, I've seen people that have been bound for 30 years and they get set free in 30 seconds. Because the power of Christ is greater than the power of darkness. And see, the number two in your notes, the authority we have in Christ is immeasurable. The authority we have in Christ is immeasurable. Now, now Donald talked a lot about this in the, in the Kingdom of God series, but it's important that we drive it home. The authority we have in Christ is immeasurable. Let me tell you something. The authority you have in Jesus Christ compared to the authority that Satan has over this world is like comparing the authority of the President of the United States to a kindergartner that's in charge of feeding the hamster. Okay? That's the only way I could think of it. That's the difference in authority. And here's the thing, Satan runs around like a roaring lion trying to convince you that he has all the authority and all the control. But the only way he has control is if you believe his lies because Jesus has pulled out every one of his teeth and says the only authority now that he gets is if he steals it from you and convinces you of the lie and you agree with his lie and then you empower him because he uses your own authority against you. He tells you, you know what, you're just nothing but a worthless addict or you're just nothing but a war you're just going to be angry all your life you're just going to be you know what don't forgive that person and you, you you agree with him and then you use your own authority to empower the enemy because he has no authority if you know who you are in christ and here, here's what it says in ephesians 1 verse 19 through 23 paul is praying and he says i pray that you would understand what is the exceeding greatness of his power 
toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Now notice where Christ was seated. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. He is naming once again the powers of darkness and their, and their standing in the earth. And he says, Jesus has been raised far above them and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age that is to come. And he's put all things under his feet. How many things are under Jesus' feet? All things. And he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Basically he's saying, look, Jesus is over every demonic power. And you know what? Now... The Bible even says, if you go on in Ephesians 2, it says that you used to be dead in sins and trespasses, and you used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air. You used to fulfill your sin and your lust and all that junk. He said, but God who's rich in mercy and because of the love with which He loved you, He raised you up even when you were dead in sins and trespasses, and now He has seated you with Christ in the heavenly places. And what you need to know is that when God and when the devils look at you, they see you as seated with Christ in a higher authority, in a higher position than them, and when when you speak out of your mouth, you better know that they listen. But you got to believe in who you are. Jesus told his disciples, he said in Luke 10, 19, he said, I give you all authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. See, your authority, look, he's real, he's a reality. But you, if, you, if you know who you are, whose you are, and where you're seated, there is no reason we should ever at any point Fear the devil or fear what he has to do in our life. When Jesus comes on the scene, and you're in Christ, by the way, but when Jesus comes on the scene, he would just walk into a church. I mean, he'd just like walk in the building. He ain't even said nothing yet. He'd walk in the building, and these demons would begin to scream out at people. And they'd say, what do, you, what, what do we have to do with you, son of God? Why are, you, why are you come here? Have you come to torment us before the time? And he would be like, be muzzled, bro. And the thing would hush, and then he'd say, come out. And they would leave instantly and all the people would be shocked because they would say, what is this? What doctrine is this? What teaching is this? Because we've never seen anybody teach like this as one who has authority because even the demons are subject to him and they obey him. Did any, did any demon in the Gospels that you read ever put up a fight with Jesus? No. They knew that he could do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted with them. See, the whole war and the reason there's cosmic conflict is that day by day we're deceived. We don't know who we are. And when we don't know who we are, we end up serving the devil rather than serving God. We choose sexual sin. We choose all sorts of things. Why? Because Satan with his world system convinces you that somehow that's going to bring you pleasure. And you agree with him. And as soon as you agree with him, because of the sin that you do, you actually give him access into your life to enslave you and control you and torment your mind and lead you down a destructive path. But we're going to get to the good part here in a minute. Okay? There's no reason we should ever fear God. And here's, here's another thing that we have to understand. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, because a lot of times, you know, death, I would say, is probably the worst thing that we experience in this life. Would anybody agree with that? Death is awful. Sickness and death are two of the worst things that we could ever experience. And the New Testament never paints those things, sickness and death, as something that God does. Matter of fact, it actually says that death is the last enemy that shall be destroyed. And this is why Jesus himself was raised from the dead, and it's an essential teaching of the Christian faith. 
Because death is such a horrific thing for human beings because we know that we were made to live forever. It's innate in us. The Bible says eternity. God has set eternity in our hearts. And somewhere on a deep level, we know that every time somebody dies, this isn't right. Something's gone wrong. And because the world has fallen, the Bible says it's appointed once for man to die and then after this the judgment. So we are all going to die. And that means that to some degree we have all come up under the corruption of sin and Satan and the enemy. But the issue is, is that, look, Satan could come and kill me right now if, he, you know, if God allowed him to. But the issue is, is that even if he kills me, guess what? God's going to raise me from the dead and I'm going to live forever. That means he does not have victory over me. Even though I know I'm going to die, I don't have to fear death because I know that Jesus has conquered death for me. And see, in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, this is exactly what the Scripture says. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that means you got flesh and blood, don't you? He said, Jesus himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. See, we've always thought that God had the power of death. Now, I'm not saying that ultimately God doesn't oversee all things. He absolutely does. But this verse says that Satan is the one who had the power of death. He's the one that brought death into the world through his corruption. And here's what it says. And he says, Jesus has come to release those who through fear of death were all of their lifetime subject to bondage. You realize that, that, that through fear of death, fear of losing our loved ones, fear of losing our own life, we were always in bondage and we could never live for God fully because we did not understand this. But here's what happens. It's just what Paul said. Paul's re- revelation of God was changing. He said, you know what? I've come to a new revelation that this life isn't the only life that I'm living for. And he said, for me to live is to live for Christ, but to die is actually gain." Because I've got a Lord and Savior who said that I'm not to live for this world, but I'm to live for the world that is to come. And even if we do die in this world, guess what? It ain't the end. Because our Lord and Savior is going to come and raise us again from the dead. And that's the world that we're actually living for. The new heavens and the new earth in which He will reign forever and ever. And sometimes this world and Satan gets us so caught up in this world, in the here and now, that we actually love this present world rather than the world that is to come. And it makes us so upset when we see bad things happen. And I'm going to tell you something. It's natural that we grieve and that we get upset when bad things happen. But the biggest issue and one of the biggest things that Satan does to people is when bad things happen, he says, how could God allow this to happen to you? And what we do is we get angry at God and we distance ourselves from God And that was the strategy of Satan from the very beginning. He said, if I can convince you that all the evil that happens in your life was not Satan's doing but God's doing, ultimately you'll reject God because you won't think you can trust Him. And I'm saying God is trustworthy because He has sent Jesus to die for your sins, to die for your sicknesses, to die for your diseases. And even if you experience pain and suffering and loss in this life, there is a world coming where He says, Behold, I make all things new. And there, listen, we're in a warfare now and we're going to lose some battles. And bad things are going to happen sometimes. God is not going to make everything just peachy pie for you. you got to realize that. But we're not just living for this world. So while I'm in this world, I'm living for Christ. And if I die, praise God, it's gain. Amen. Y'all with me this morning? I get a little bit fired up about this. C.S. Lewis said that every square inch of the universe is claimed by Satan and counterclaimed by God. Everything is permeated with this warfare and that's why death feels so unnatural. But just like I said, let me tell you something. We, can't, we have to learn the side that we're on and the character of that side if we're going to fight properly because we cannot blame God for the atrocities 
that happened in our world. He didn't want it. The atrocities, if you want to blame anybody, you blame Satan and you blame humanity for rebelling against God. A lot of things that happen are our own fault. Okay? But I'm telling you that God loves us so much as he says, I've come to restore all things. If you'll align yourself with me, I'll bring restoration in your life. I'll break the power of sin and death and Satan off of your life. See, Jesus doesn't come to send storms in your life. Jesus rebukes the storms that tries to hurt people. Amen? Last thing, number three. We have all kinds of battles. We really do. In this world, we have all kinds of battles. And many of you right now, you are facing a battle in your life. I guarantee, on some level, every person in this room is facing a battle. Y'all would amen me on that, wouldn't you? Ain't nobody in this room that's saying, you know what, everything in my life right now is just perfect. Everything is just flawless. And sometimes Satan convinces us that everybody else has got it good and we got it bad. Get in a small group, you'll find out real quick that everybody's got it bad. You find out, okay, everybody's life sucks a little bit. That's good. It's almost kind of encouraging, isn't it? It's like, man, I ain't the only one that's got a terrible life. Praise God. I ain't alone. That's why it's so important to get in a small group. You start realizing that, guess what? You're in a war, but so is everybody else. And if you've got people that you're fighting with, all of a sudden, one will put 1,000 to flight, two will put 10,000 to flight. And you come together, and you begin to war with one another, and you begin to understand that we're in a battle, we've got to fight this thing together. See, we have all kinds of battles, but at the cross, Jesus won the war. The war is already over, my friends. The war has already been won. But right now we're in, this, we're in this, 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 this intermediary stage when there are battles being fought because Satan knows that the war is won and he only has a short time left and the only way that he can defeat us is run around deceiving us as much as possible to get us convinced that, you know what, this war ain't won. You're still in my control. You're still in bondage. But Jesus wins the war at the cross. Here's what it says in Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. It says, in you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And listen what it says in verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them. One version says he made a laughing stock out of them triumphing over them in it. So it says that, listen, Satan had a weapon that he used against you, but what Jesus did on the cross was he disarmed him and took his weapons away from him, and everything that was written against you, all the handwritings of requirements that were against you that said, she's unworthy, he's unworthy, they ain't going to make it, they deserve hell, they deserve punishment, they deserve judgment. Jesus took it on the cross and he said, yeah, let me have that right quick. Boom. And he nailed it to the cross and he said death to those handwritings and requirements. He disarmed Satan at the cross and he says, Satan, guess what? You no longer get to define who these people are because they are now my children. They are now a new creation in Christ and I'm the one who gets to define them. And he disarmed the principalities and the powers at the cross. See, Satan thinks in terms of legal rights and here's what he believes. Satan believes that if you sin and you rebel against God, and there's some truth to it, when God is saying, follow me, come this way, 
and you say, no, I don't think I'll do that, and you choose sin in its place, the further you go into the area of sin and rebellion against God, the more you open yourself up to Satan to have access into your life. This is why what happens is, for example, somebody that becomes addicted to pornography, the more they watch and the more they watch and the more they watch, they open themselves up to a spirit of lust until that thing begins to enslave them. Okay, And that's in every area of life. And what, what Satan believes is that he has legal right when you commit sin and you rebel against God. Okay? And he uses that against you. That's his ammunition against you is he uses the sin against you. So what happens is, is we have to begin to understand exactly what Jesus did on the cross. Here's, here's something else that you have to understand is that Satan is called, his name Satan literally means the accuser. God is not your accuser. You realize that? When you sense that unworthiness and when you sense everything pointing out all your flaws and all your failures and everything you've done wrong, that is never at any point God. Now, the Holy Spirit will absolutely convict you of sin, but the reason the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin is because He knows if you continue in sin, you're going to give yourself over to Satan. And He says, I don't want you in that kind of bondage. I don't want you in that kind of slavery. So He will convict you and bring you to a place of loving repentance. But when you sin and you hear that voice that says, you're nasty, you're filthy, you're unworthy, you're hearing the voice of the enemy condemning you and saying they have no legal right to experience your blessing, your favor, your mercy because they are in sin. And He uses that against you to try to bring you into bondage. One of my favorite stories in Scriptures in Zechariah chapter 3. Joshua, the high priest, comes before God. See, the picture is a courtroom. I always love this because my dad's a prosecuting attorney, so I can just sort of jab at him a little bit. But in the courtroom that you come before, we come before God, it says, and Satan is standing at our right hand to accuse us. Satan stands as the prosecuting attorney. Now, God, in this situation, is both judge, but he's also my defense at the same time. He comes to judge me because sin must be judged. But at the same time, he steps in to defend me. And when Satan stands at my right hand to accuse me, in that scripture, if you read it, God looks at Satan and he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. He's saying, you know what? How dare you come to me after the price I've paid for this one? He says, I've chosen this one myself out of the fire. And you're going to come and accuse them like what they've done and the sins they've committed is the only thing that they're of value to me? He says, my love will never change for them. And matter of fact, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. He says, I've chosen this one, so why don't you take those filthy garments off of that person and put clean garments on them? That's what God wants to do to you. But Satan comes to accuse you to make you feel filthy. Now, one of the best representations, I'm going to let you watch a little video clip and we'll be really close to done after this. But there's, this, there's a movie, Chronicles of Narnia. Anybody ever seen Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe? If you've not seen it, it's worth a watch. But what, here, I'm, let me set you a little background. It's a five-minute video and we'll be finishing up. So the background is this dude, this young boy, Edmund, he has... He has basically committed treason and left his family and left Aslan this line. And Aslan, this big line, represents Jesus Christ. And he went on the side of the witch who represents Satan and committed treason against God. Guess what? That's all of us. Now, he finally wises up and leaves Satan's hands and comes back to Jesus and back to his family, back to Aslan. But when he comes back, the witch comes because she believes she has legal right to his life. Okay? So let one, give us some dim lights there. Turn up the volume. Let's run this clip. Watch this real quick. You have a traitor in your midst, Aslan. His offense was not against you. 
Have you forgotten the laws upon which Narnia was built? Do not cite the deep magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. Then you'll remember well that every traitor belongs to me. His blood is my property. Try and take him then. Do you really think that mere force will deny me my right? Aslan knows that unless I have blood as the law demands, all of Narnia will be overturned and perish in fire and water. That boy will die on the stone table. As is tradition. You dare not refuse me. Enough. I shall talk with you alone. She has renounced her claim on the son of Adam's blood.
the knife. The witch. If the witch knew the true meaning of sacrifice, she might have interpreted the deep magic differently. That when a willing victim who has committed no treachery is killed in a traitor's stead, the stone table will crack, and even death itself would turn backwards. Amen. Amen. Give it a hand clap, right? It's good. So listen, you guys can come to the music. I want to just share a few things about what this, about what this means. Okay? So if you'll notice, what happens is, is that God, one, in one place, what you have to understand is that God has kept his plan secret. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says that this mystery has been hidden for all ages and throughout all generations. And here's what it says. It says that, that none of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, next, next verse says this. It says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God, which God ordained before the ages for our glory. And the next verse says this, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, they didn't understand because it was hidden. And this actually says that it wasn't God that crucified Jesus. It was the principalities and the powers that actually begin to orchestrate the crucifixion of Jesus. What God did is He realized that our sin had to be judged. And throughout Scripture, what you find out is that it says, and God delivered Him up for us all. He delivered Him up for us all. And He handed Him over to the principalities and the powers. Because while Jesus was living, while He was living, they tried to arrest Him several times and could not do it because God had protected Him. Why? Because they had no legal right to Him because He was sinless. Amen. They had no authority over Jesus because he had never sinned. They could not touch him. Jesus says, the ruler of this world is coming, but what? He has nothing in me. He cannot touch me. He has no legal right to me. He might have right to you because of your sin, but he has no right to me. So what does God do in his ultimate wisdom? He says, I know a way to defeat the powers of darkness and begin to cancel all of the sin and cancel all of the condemnation and all of the guilt and all of the shame. And what I will do is I will judge sin, but what I will do is I will deliver my son up for us all. And he handed them over. He handed Jesus over to the principalities and the powers. Just like Aslan did in this one. Did you, you remember what the witch says? She says, do you think even force will deny me my right? Our, our, we can't wrestle with flesh and blood. He thinks he has a right to you. He believes that he has a right to you. And demons recognize Jesus, but they don't know why he's come. All they know is that he's killable while he's on the earth. So they orchestrate the crucifixion. But see, Jesus was sinless and therefore not under the enemy's authority. And so, because he's not under the enemy's authority, what, 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 what Satan believes is that, you know what, we can just kill Jesus, and when we kill him, we get him out of the way, and then we enslave the entire world. But here's what happened on the cross. is On the cross, they brought accusation against Jesus. On the cross, they whipped him just like he had whipped us with diseases and sicknesses and all of these different things. He did all of those things to him. He tortured him. He tormented him. He put a crown of thorns on his head and mocked him the same way that he mocks humanity. And, I, and he nailed him to the cross. And in that moment, sin was being judged because God was giving him fully over to the consequences of all of our sins in that moment. But what we notice is it wasn't God that was laying the knife. It was Satan that was laying the knife. It was Satan that demanded blood. But what happens is all of a sudden when he comes again, when Satan brings a charge against 
Jesus. And when he kills Jesus, what he does is he removes every legal right that he now has to charge you and bring accusation against you and bind you with sin. And what Jesus has done is it says, you know what? We can even come before Satan and say, you know what? I have sinned. You're exactly right. But you still have no legal right to me because I repent of my sin. I renounce my sin. And I turn to the living God. And I declare to you to this day that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me from all of my sin, from all of my past. And you no longer have any legal right to hold me any longer because I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you have no authority over me because I've now stepped into a new creation in Christ Jesus. Every accusation you bring against me, he'll try to bring up your past and say why you can't move forward. Every accusation that he brought against you, every handwriting of ordinances and requirements that was against you, Jesus took it and nailed it to the cross and says that's been put to death. He disarmed principalities and he disarmed powers at the cross. And what's so awesome about it is that this was the wisdom of God matter of fact it's so weird because we actually have Satan to thank for it I wouldn't I mean ain't nobody want to say thank you Satan but he did us a real favor when he crucified Jesus and ultimately it was God's plan all along and see that's the sovereignty of God that God will actually allow Satan to have his free will he'll allow us to have his free will but he knows what we're going to do so he can cause every single thing that happens to ultimately work into the counsel of his will and to his ultimate purpose and see Satan chose to crucify Jesus but it worked out for God's ultimate plan do you see that? everything in your life no matter how bad it gets I promise you God is working it together for your good I promise you he is what Satan means for evil in your life God is going to turn it for good And you've got to believe that. You've got to hold on to that. I'm telling you, at the cross was the most horrific and terrible thing that had ever happened. And the disciples thought everything had come to an end. But ultimately, God was turning everything for our good at the cross. It didn't look like it, but that's what was happening. And see, what you've got to understand is you have to come into alignment with this truth. And what you have to do is you have to recognize that you're a sinner, period. You have to repent of your sin. Because sin is what gives Satan legal access into your life. You have to renounce that sin. You have to break agreement with it so that it can no longer hold you anymore. And then from then on out, you have to resist the devil and stand in the authority that Jesus has given you in that freedom. Now the Bible says this, and I'm going to close. Revelation 12, 11 says that we overcame, they overcame, we overcome. What? By the blood of the Lamb. Man. Satan demands our blood. You realize that? He demanded our blood. He demanded our death. But guess what? The perfect one died in our place. And when he did, he robbed him of all power to demand our death anymore. Man, that's awesome. But it says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb because he took our place. But also we overcome by the word of our testimony and that we love not our lives unto the death. And see, the Bible teaches that the church, one of the ways that we are supposed to live in such a way that we proclaim this to the principalities and the powers. And I'm telling you, some some of you all, you need to repent this morning of things you've been saying out of your mouth about yourself. Because you've been coming into alignment and into agreement with Satan about who you are. And you better renounce that this morning. You better say, I'm a child of God. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. I've been washed by the blood of Jesus. I'm a new creation. And old things have passed away and all things have become new. I'm not who I used to be. I'm I'm new. 
you have to come into alignment with that truth. And see, what happens is, is you think, well, this is not that big of a deal. It's war. And if you don't come into alignment with it, he's going to run roughshod over you. But one of the things the church does is we not only live it, but we proclaim it. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand to our feet. Here's how we're going to finish. We're going to make a declaration. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. That means that we overcome when we testify personally to what the word of God says that the blood of Jesus has done for us. Y'all ready? Now, I want, you, I want you to actually say this with some boldness like you believe it this morning. Can you do that? I want you to say this. Repeat after me. Say, Abba Father. Abba Father. We declare, we declare that you are Lord. You are God. And you are victorious. And we declare to the principalities and powers of darkness that you have been defeated and you've been outwitted. You have no authority over us. You have no claim on us. In Christ, there is no condemnation. Who can lay any charge to God's elect? If God be for us, who can be against us? No one. We are free from sin and darkness. Free from all bondage. Free from every curse. We repent and renounce every sin that we have committed. And by the blood of Jesus, we are cleansed and forgiven of every sin. The blood of Jesus has redeemed us and set us free from the power of Satan. By the blood of Jesus, we are reconciled to God. The enemy is defeated. And no weapon that he forms against us shall prosper. And every word that He speaks against us, we condemn and declare void. For we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. By the authority of Christ, we command every demon to flee from us. And Heavenly Father, we ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit, your love, your joy, and your peace. Jesus, yours is the victory. Amen. Amen. Give him a hand clap. Praise God. Listen, it's important you stand in that victory. Amen. You realize what Jesus has done for you this morning? He loves you so much, He took your place. Satan has no right any longer. You've got to start living like He's got no right to you any longer. Stand in your authority. And here, I'm telling you, just like what Forrest said, we've got about five, ten minutes left here together. If we spend two minutes singing together, we are engaging in warfare. We're singing and letting the principalities and the powers know who we are in Christ, what our God has done, and how we're going to live throughout eternity. Amen?